Hey, welcome to the cast. My name is Mike and I'm here with Sam and we're excited to be having a conversation today about some things that we truly care about and think you do too, right? The heart of this podcast is simply to have a conversation, unedited, raw, uncut, sometimes a little bit off the cuff about things going on in our life that we care about and assume that other people might care about as well. And so we just want to say thanks for liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing what we're doing on iTunes and listening through our website. It really helps get the word out, especially when you rate and review. And so we're just so thankful for that. And especially for your questions. It really helps guide our conversation, give us some deep things to think about. And so we're just excited to have you guys part of our community. Yeah, agreed. Um, really love the questions you guys have been sending in. And I just want to send out another reminder that the views and opinions expressed on the cast are those of the people expressing them and may not necessarily reflect the views of our church. With that said, enjoy. Well, on this episode of the cast, we're going to start off just with a brief and um, quick, same thing, celebration. Same. Yeah. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that there's now, by the end of this episode, going to be 10 hours of the cast. 10 For your hours. listening pleasure. For your <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, we were on, this is our 10th episode. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I cannot it's believe. crazy we uh i know we put out three episodes right off the start so it hasn't been 10 weeks but it's pretty it, that's a milestone that's worth celebrating i think we can just uh call it a day and rest on our laurels now yeah we have completely dominated the uh the podcasting world we're still not the number one christian podcast in the country yet so we got uh, a long way to go whose metrics <laughs> Well, on my mom's number one. That's fair. My mom still doesn't listen to this podcast. I've been oh no nagging her too, but not good. I am not good. Yeah. I so wait. Is your mom listening to this podcast? I think so. I assume so. Hmm. Thanks, mom. Excuse the uh, eating sounds tonight. Mike and I are just celebrating this big milestone with, with some, some almonds, some almonds, some freshly squeezed orange juice. That was next level. Thank mm-hmm. you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, if you guys want to uh, try some of my freshly squeezed orange juice, well, there might be an opportunity to do that sometime soon. Um, I don't think I don't think my fellow my co-conspirators, if you will, will mind me talking about this. But we've um, there's been some discussion around actually doing that '90s worship night that we kind of talked about jokingly on that episode about six weeks ago with Leah. There we go. When you said that, right? Was that your idea? The, the idea of a 90s worship band? Yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah. So. Except apparently it's just for young adults, whatever, yeah, that, whatever well, that means. Here's the thing. I just want more spaces for us young adults to connect. I mean, I'm not going to define what a young adult is. What is a young adult in your mind, Mike? Um, well, the fact that I'm 28, I think still qualifies. But yeah. I do have two kids. So if we're talking about stage of life. That's the thing. I think it's I mean, about that's stage. The thing. You know, like my kids? No, I like your kids. I just think that the stage of life you're in may be 
disqualifies you from being considered a well, I just adult. don't well, like what do you mean like so because uh, so, I've been I able think, to find a wife so is it just the singles what are you saying Sam that's I'm, discrimination I'm saying, I'm saying us singles I feel well, discriminated I can't even say that anymore um, whoop, whoop. but I'm saying that us unmarried people we gotta have you know some joy in life <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot we're missing out on so young adults are now defined as uh, unmarried young people yeah, without kids. Well, actually, so without kids, so they actually, can't wait, be married. No, you could. I mean, I'm no judge. What's the here. definition, Sam? You know what? I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually gonna leave that up to the people themselves to decide. It's kind of you know if you're a young adult or not. And by the sounds of it, Mike, you seem pretty convinced that you're not a young adult. No, I'm pretty convinced I am. I'm pretty convinced. I mean, if you want to come to this worship I'm night, I'm holding on gonna... to the fact that I'm still only 28. Hmm. Okay. I feel 58 many times. All I'm saying is like, I'm 24. My expectation is that there will be people older than me at this event. But due to the stage of life they're in, they could still be considered a young adult. And I just kind of think like once you're, once you have responsibilities that are not similar to stereotypical young adult responsibilities... So you mean delayed adolescence that they have? No, you know, no. <laughs> I think I think the happy I'm middle ground I love between technically you could argue it's the what's it the young millennials and the old Gen Z. Yeah, yeah, Would that I makes think so. sense. That's about right. right. Yeah. Although, like, I am only twenty eight. I'm just saying, like, I have to I, account I actually, for something. I actually would love it if you did come out. Like, I think I think that'd be a lot of fun for I a think lot of people. That well, it was my idea. Yeah, I know. So, so I, I want you to take part in it. And, like, this it'll just, be a just lot made of me fun. look very petty. Let's mm-hmm. be real. Yeah, I'm just true. kidding, people. I know that I'm a dad now. I gotta, I'm an old dad. But I love it. My kids are worth it. Mm. Your kids bring a lot of people a lot of joy. So, Including myself. You've done a good thing. <laughs> I've, done, I've done a good thing. Made a good decision. I did. Anyways, young adult worship night. Yeah. We're it's in the works. We're, by the time this podcast airs, uh, the first preliminary meeting to discuss and plan that should have taken place, um, assuming all my people showed up and we didn't call it off. But I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen and we're going we're gonna to make it good. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we'll try to make it as retro as possible. Sing some, sing some hits that we grew up singing at youth group or summer camp or just even at church on Sundays with our mom and dads. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, like I said about the What's juice, your favorite song? My favorite song? What's the one that makes you cry all the time? Uh, Hosanna, man. It's got to be Hosanna. Classic. Mine's, um, I think it's called Breathe. I think. This is the air I breathe. Okay. Remember that one? I'm desperate. For, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. That one, every time it comes on, I will weep for an hour. To be honest, like, I think I would probably recognize it if I looked it up right now. I, I was just kind of like going through the BuzzFeed article. There's one that's like 17 worship songs that you should know if you uh, went to youth group growing up. And I was like, yeah, I know pretty much all these. Like once I actually sat and listened to them all. Oh, wait, this was 2001. This was not quite. No, but, but that's fine. Okay. Like you have to remember. Not that part. That, that's lame. Just wait. Sunday night worship, man. <laughs> Everyone at the altars, a mess. More Lord, more Lord. Come on. Wow. 
powerful. Puts you in the right space. But that's the whole heart behind it, I think, is just like, because I, I think if we think back to our childhood and kind of those like really big moments that we first connected with Jesus, I feel like a lot of times as adults, we're trying to kind of go back to those spaces because mm-hmm. our life was so much simpler then and we could kind of do what Jesus talked about, like come to Jesus as a child again. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, uh, yeah, it's it, well, it's the same thing with the, when we talk about the hymns, right? It's just a place of familiarity where we did encounter him. Like there, there's this older teaching I used to hear about people saying like, you know, in the Old Testament, they built altars to remember places they met God. And there's like, markers in our life where we kind of build our altars, place we can go back and remember. I think songs become kind of like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially because, like, at that time, let's be real, right? There was this very high upswing of emotion-centric kind of lovish songs mm-hmm. for, yep. for God. That's right. Less declarative of who he is, more... Um, more, well... Almost boyfriend romantic. For yes, a time. The, there's yeah. a whole there's a Christianese term for that. <laughs> the God so, is my girlfriend song. God is my girlfriend. That, that that did happen at the time. I was too young to really make that distinction. It was just pure mm-hmm. affection, which I think is actually quite beautiful. Um, and uh, and yeah, those <laughs> some of those songs are just like like when you hear them now, you're kind of like ah okay, like I get the point. Yeah, and, but it's still because of what it did, where where you met yep. God in it and. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So. I can see that like maybe being a tricky emotional barrier for some people, like especially mm-hmm. if this is approached as a worship night rather than like a karaoke thing. So we'll have to be uh, cognizant of that, like tasteful. Taste, tasteful in the songs that we select. Uh-huh. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if we'll do "Open the Eyes of My Heart." Oh, classic! But because um, that's one that I kind of chuckle at. You have to kind of start the night with. We said, "Come now, so tell him to worship." Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, "I'm a friend of God." Mm. That was classic, mm. classic. Um, what's the one? Um, something about honey on my lips. Have you ever seen that one? Your no. name is like honey no. on my lips. Emily always liked that one because it was so visual. Like the imagery was so strong. Right, in it, that you as could a just see you could it. Really see yeah. it. Um, yeah. Anyways, interesting. Interesting. Well, look. Here's uh, to ten episodes. Yeah. And, you know, at least 10 more. <laughs> at least 10 more. Yeah, I, I'm not planning on stopping this anytime soon. So, yeah, we are going to celebrate uh, our 10th episode tonight by going into some listener questions, which I know we've actually done quite a bit lately. And to be honest, I would love it if, like, every episode we did going forward was somewhat shaped by listener questions because I just like the fact that people are listening along and, and want to participate in what we're talking about. I think it's so During cool. the conversation. Yeah, exactly. As they say. If this whole uh, kind of podcast can just be shaped by what's on people's minds, I think that's uh, going to be the place where it makes the biggest difference, perhaps. Um, so this first question, actually, none of these questions have uh, names attached to them this week. They're all anonymous, which is cool. We respect anonymity. This first question is a big one. I have a friend of several years, and I've been afraid or perhaps embarrassed to broach the subject of the gospel. Now I'm feeling convicted. How can I move forward? Status quo is comfortable. Admitting to my selfishness is painful, and I'm fearful of losing the relationship. But I'm deeply aware that silence is not only wrong, but bears eternal consequences. What do I do? Yeah, that's a 
think that's one we've all felt. I think, I mean, I still feel this in some of my relationships to a, a large extent because it's also it's always like, you know, like when's the right time to broach the subject of the gospel? I think like for me, you have to almost like just invite that conversation by maybe being maybe being more open about the fact that it plays such a huge role in your life. Like I think arousing people's curiosity is often just a great way to even open the conversation. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like they, they decide ultimately if they're going to accept the gospel message or not. Um, one of the things, like, I think they need to have a curiosity about it first really. And I think it's, how do we make them curious about this gospel message? How do we make them receptive and open to it? And so, yeah, for me, like, even with like my roommates or just close friends of mine who aren't Christians, I'm, I'm just very open about my involvement with my church. Um, kind of the satisfaction that I find in even just like serving church, just even just this, that this is a part of my life. And I think like that invites the question, okay, but like, what's at the, what's at the heart of that thing that you're doing? And at the heart of it is of course the gospel. That's a good answer, Sam. Uh, I'll just add a, couple of things that like I was thinking about because I pretty much was thinking about the same thing uh, to be honest uh, the first thing though I want to just encourage whoever this was um, number one is that it would be worse if you were in a place that you're still hiding this so I just want to encourage you that um, take it as a as a victory and take it as a joy that God is convicting you and leading you in this way that like you might still feel the weight of well I'm not saying anything or I'm not doing this but like be be joyful and expectant that God is working in your life. I just want to encourage you in that. He's working on your heart. It's a great thing. And yes, you're right. Silence is wrong and costly, right? We do believe in really eternal consequences. Most Orthodox Christians, you know, there are some people who maybe don't and their impetus to evangelize would be less than ours. Um, but um, I think my first thought, um, just that it's slightly different than maybe, maybe what Sam was thinking on, um, because my second thought was basically what Sam said was digging in with honesty around what you are afraid of really. Um, what, like if, if, like if you're embarrassed of Jesus and what we believe about him and what he has done, I think you need to wrestle with that. Um, yeah. because I, I would argue that you're probably more worried, I think, and I'm, this is big assumption. And so if it's not, then this can help somebody else, but um, you're actually probably more worried or fearful or whatever um, of what comes with Jesus, um, the church, <laughs> um, mm, yeah. the the different worldviews that can, as she, as this person says, could cause conflict in relationship. Right, that we do have certain opposing worldviews which do come from Jesus, and yeah. I'm gonna get that. But also the weird and kooky theologies that also follow, mm. uh, the kooky people, the weird expressions, the bad reputations, the assumptions, the way that we have failed, which on the surface do seem like kind of fear and shame inducing, but they also speak to the depth of the gospel. That is that good that like this, I think it was Martin Luther who said like, God could save a frog like me. Like, like I'm not the one you put on a pedestal and like, look at this Christian, right? Like, like we are the weak links and yet he makes this amazing church out of it. So what seems like almost an embarrassment to come, which also does speak to the fact that the gospel is so good if we are humble enough to, to receive it in that way. So I would just argue that like, what is it really? Cause the gospel is Jesus, right? Like 
the person, the man, what he has done, like the the offer of redemption, that is the heart of our gospel. That um, you know, in John four, Jesus is going to the woman in the well, and she goes from this meeting with him, and all she says is, "Come see this man. Come see this person. He saw everything about me, and yet he still loved me, and he still mm-hmm. talked to me." Her experience of grace is what actually changed everything. It wasn't come wrestle about theology and. And come, you know, talk about apologetics, which, by the way, I think are paramount, important. Like we've talked about this before, we do not trade, you know, the the evangelical mind for just emotionalism. We cannot do that. But when it comes to generally speaking, the course of our relationships with people that we know, I think we have to understand that it begins in encounter. It does not begin usually in intellect. It, it like I'm actually talking about this. If you're hearing this, when it comes live we talked about this this morning at church um about evangelism and how sometimes we will hide the issues of the heart behind the mechanics of the mind and all the wrestling of the logic and the philosophy that we should build out won't actually convince someone because it's a deeper issue and that's why i think come see the person come see the man it's so important that we are propagating a message about a person not a philosophy primarily um and so just figure out like what is that fear and then um, my next thought was actually exactly what Sam said. Um, you have to just live honestly. Like, I think if, and I, and I want to say this as sensitively and pastorally and as I can, that if this person is a good friend of yours and you have uh, not already had many conversations around why you live life the way that you live life, you're being dishonest with this friend. Because if Jesus is as central to your life as a Christian is meant to have him, that implies that all decisions, all fear, pain, suffering, triumph, victory, confusion, doubt, you know, um, breakups, breakdowns, best days, worst days, salaries, money, sexuality, school, jobs, city engagement, social, where all that is filtered through Jesus. Um, and so if you can engage in those conversations and never have Jesus come up on your side of that table, then you're hiding yourself. Hmm. You're hiding who you are. Yeah. And so you're not being honest with that friend. And so I would say that you need to be honest with who you are, right? Just like as Sam said, not hiding the fact that he's so involved, right? Like, I have the advantage of being a pastor, so it's like people assume, right, certain things about me, which also is a disadvantage, to be honest, in our our modern world, that people don't assume a pastor is a good guy anymore. Usually he's some emotionally manipulative, you know, authoritarian guy who wants to dominate people and tell them what to do. Um, There's not, we don't get a good rap today, right? It has opened up other conversations with people who are curious, and it's been great, but just recognizing that. If if Jesus affects us the way that we that we say that he does, then that should be part of constantly being in my conversation. Not obnoxiously, hopefully, but just honestly, right? This mm-hmm. is why I made this decision. This is how I process this stuff. And this is why I serve in church, as Sam said. Here's why it's important to me. And um, so I would just push us in that direction. Are we being honest with who we are, transparent in our weakness and how God has met us there? Um, and then, yeah, and then as Sam said, invite him into it. Just like try to sow curiosity. So Jesus talks about sowing seeds, right? And the reaping, the sowing and sowing that encouragement, sowing that invitation. And 
you know, with optimism and waiting and having joy and just being able to share how much Jesus has done in your life. And um, again, I think when it's authentic and not programmatic, when, when I think it's honest and not project, mm-hmm. this friend's a project of mine, then it... Because I think when we do that, if, if there's so much more pressure put on us. I don't know if yeah. you ever felt that same, where it's like, I have to seal the deal. I have to have the big question. Do you want to follow Jesus right now? Right. When, like, I think that's important. Obviously, we ask that every week at church. But I think in the course of human life, it's the relationship. It's it's the curiosity. It's, hey, why do you do this? Like you said, it's the, my life looks like your life, but you seem happier than me. You seem joyful and I want that. And, and I think that happens in the course of genuine, honest, transparent relationship. Mm-hmm. Do I believe there comes a point where sometimes in a friendship you have to be like, hey, man, I care about you. Where are you at with Jesus? I just want to know. Sure. But I hope that you're friends enough that, that can you can have that kind of conversation, yeah. right? That's why I don't think, to be honest, the random kind of shotgun evangelism works all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... Yeah, that's for a different day, I think. But in this conversation, in this friendship way, um, and then my last thought, and maybe Sam, you can speak to this a little more because of even your living situation, right, with with your friends, is there is a kind of an act of bravery that has to go along with it because there is the risk of misunderstanding and this person is afraid of potentially losing a friendship that, you know, if, if I love this person, am I willing to take that risk? And I think we need to be at times. Mm. But I think the risk is heightened maybe when we have that project kind of mindset. Yeah. And I think like, if I'm going to speak to the project mindset, I think we also need to be cognizant that like coming to faith isn't really linear always. It's not, it's not like this one moment and then bam, it's just like, I'm just growing and growing and getting better all the time. Like hopefully you are always improving, getting better, growing deeper in your faith with Jesus. But I don't think the path to get there is always linear for people. I don't think it's always just a one moment um, and then they're in and, and that seals the deal. So I think if you're, I think if your expectation is for that, you might be setting yourself up for disappointment there. Like I think, I think who knows, who knows what God can do in someone's life, to be honest. I think, I think you have to be honest, like Mike said, um, do your part, not shy away from the discussion, but, um, at some point you do have to kind of leave the rest up to him and, and his grace as well. Yeah. Like you said, there, God works in different ways in people's lives, right? Are there moments of encounter that change everything? Evidently we see that in scripture. Mm. Are there moments of progressive kind of revelation of who Jesus is? Uh, yeah, it's called the disciples. It took him three years to figure out who Jesus was. Um, and, and so, I think we just have to, you're right, Sam, be sensitive to the way God's working, that maybe the first question is, God, like, where are you working in this person's life, and how do I sow seeds into that space? How do I encourage in those yeah. things? Um, and if the, and if you feel the leading of the Spirit of God to broach that conversation, right, in the words of Paul, um, I fear God, not man. Like, I think we just got to own that. Um, especially because we love and we do believe as crazy as this is that Jesus is the best thing for life the best way to do life the best way to be human and I just want people to know that this question says 
Can we talk about the tension between the already of Christianity, everything we are in Christ now and everything he is for us, and the not yet, all that we will one day be and know and experience in the fullness of the restoration of our bodies and the world? How do we stay longing for a full restoration one day while still endeavoring and praying to see heaven on earth? Hashtag right. heaven here. Hashtag heaven here. They didn't actually put that in, but I did. That's good. In fact, if you're listening to this, then most likely you're at heart and soul as well. And you heard all about our heaven here thing. So be on board. Anyways, this is a great question, as Sam said, for the heart of our church, because we've been talking a lot about um, the idea of heaven here, that like salvation for us, this is kind of our whole Easter thing. Giveaway Easter, right, is that we don't get saved to await our escape to heaven. Uh, but to bring heaven here, to pray the prayer of Jesus that, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that really guides our church in so many ways. The way that you understand um, the life of faith, the way that we understand our role in the world. Um, and I love this question because I think it it, it exposes the tension, that sh- as this person says, that we live in. Of classically what theologians call the now and not yet. The now is true that life is bursting into death, that darkness is being eclipsed by the light of Jesus, that when John writes about eternal life, he's not talking about a one-day thing. It's right now. You can have it here, and now the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus says. You know, it's advancing by force. It's it's moving in the world. Satan cannot, you know, um, defend against it. Like, all the, the language of this um, that we experience, the new creation, that we are new creation, um, and yet, people still die. Yeah. Suffering still happens. Bodies are not all healed. Um, and we await the day of the coming redemption or the 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 new heavens and new earth, the yeah. new creation in the cosmic sense. Um, and, and the tension for me is really labeled around two poles of what's called an over-realized eschatology. So this is kind of like your wild charismatic that believes... <laughs> In Jesus, all present suffering is over. Right. And that, you know, enough faith means that all sickness bends its knee yeah. and um, all suffering bends its knee. And, and all sickness and suffering and pain will bend its knee at the end of time when he redeems all things, um, which gives us what's called, I would argue, redemptive optimism, right? That we look to the future with hope that God is on the move. He is working to bring creation back under his rule. Like, I think it's in Colossians where it says like, um, it is in Colossians 1 where it says to him, from him, for him, all things were made. Like this is where the the direction of history is moving towards Jesus and what he's doing. Um, that all things are under his feet. Um, and, and that, you know, even in the Great Commission that he's going to give all authority, right? And then he gives it to us to work and to do, be essential agents of the kingdom of heaven. Um, but we await the full revelation of that. And so it's kind of like taste and see, like that the Lord is good. That's this quote from the scriptures and how we do, we, we, we get a taste. We have foretaste in Christ of what will be forever. Um, and, and so we await that day in his sovereign plan. This is where as humans, we have humility knowing that God is God and we are not, that there's this delay in his revelation of this. Um, but the opposite side is you could call like an, underrealized kingdom or an underrealized redemption um, where it's kind of like 
suffering and pain and badness and is either a badge, which, you know, I can understand people get there because, you know, we're, we're about to jump into Philippians as a church and Paul's talking about being imprisoned for the sake of Christ. Like, and that's a good thing because it helped the gospel go forward, right? So there is an element of that. Peter talks about how um, in, in, in one of his letters that like, if you're going to suffer, at least suffer for the sake of Jesus. Like that's a good kind of suffering. And I, I do believe that, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean we like pray for suffering, right? Yeah. Or it's kind of like, and, and I argue this sort of fits in the same vein, that kind of old school, that's the wrong way to say, not old school, but maybe more typical, probably evangelical, left behind kind of theology that like the world's going to hell in the handbasket. Yeah, it's yeah. going to get worse progressively. Um, kind of like a premillennial, um, you know, um, eschatology, which just the rapture happens, everyone leaves and it just is a mess. And, and so I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm not going to make a statement on eschatology right now. Um, but the idea that just because essentially because the world's going to end, whatever, like why care about it? Why do I do anything? All we got to do is just, you know, survive, yeah. right? Um, because we're getting taken out of this world anyway. And I think both of those have an under-realized kingdom where Jesus came to bring life. And he says life to the full. Um, and we experience it here and now. And so I think the tension for us is um, sitting between over-realizing heaven and under-expecting the kingdom. And living in that space where we will pray for healing because God does heal and we will pray for deliverance because he does deliver and we will pray for optimistic hope mm. because the tomb is empty like that is yeah history shaking that is death defeating literally Right? That's what that is for us. And so we always cling to that hope. We have that hope as an anchor. We have Jesus in the story of the gospel. We always have that. So Christians should never be vacant of hope, no matter how the world looks, which is why I call it redemptive optimism, because it's not just wishful thinking. It's it's grounded in the idea that Jesus is going to and has won this war against sin and death in, in the grave, and we have hope for that. Um but I think we deal with that tension. Um, and I'm actually going to do a sermon on this. I wasn't going to explain it in this way. So this is actually helping me process a little bit. So thanks, whoever questioned this is. Um, is we deal with that tension uh, through permission. Hmm. Um, and I want to explain that and say, and then you can give me your, your thoughts on it. Is this essential idea that I want to only ask for what I feel ultimately is the will of God, the permission of God to actually ask for. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that we live, we live in full submission to the will of God in all circumstances. So that if there are times where we do not feel permission from the Spirit of God to pray for healing, we do not. Right. And when we do, we pray. Okay. You know, or... Um, it's just so that I don't want to give my sermon away because I want you to still come to church, but I'm not going to tell you which week it is so you don't know which one's coming. But um, there's a story in, in Acts with Peter and a, and a woman named Dorcas. Um, great name. Mm -hmm. Great name. Yeah. And she dies. Great woman, apparently. Well known. She dies. My daughter Dorcas. Uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Anyways, um, 
it's just a bad name, like for the modern world. I'm just saying she's going to get made fun yeah. of, right? It's just like he's asking. It's why do parents do that, Sam? Name like their name kids, their kids like dumb bad things. biblical names. Well, just or... bad names in general that people like are going to make fun of. Like oh, you're yeah, setting yeah. your kid up for pain. <laughs> like that, that's just not good parenting. Like they I sound know like the name of a car. Or create something. or <laughs> they're trying to be creative. It's yeah. like, like bro, your kid is going to legally change their name as soon as they can. So yeah. like, why make them go through that? Like, no one wants to be called, like, Rainbow. No, we're off topic here, but, like, I've always dreamed of naming my son Samson. He'd be Sam's son. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> or, like, or like, like, I know he's trying to be, like, like, I legitimately heard one time some kid trying to be, like, a parent naming their kid, like, Thunderbolt. Oh, it's like, man. why? It's a sports team. Or like, something. why do that? Like, I understand it's... I don't even understand, to be honest. It just seems to me ridiculous. And I know I'm going to get some heat for that because who am I? I'm, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just asking why. It's all yeah. I'm asking. Like, why? Yeah. Or have you seen the people who name their kid A, B, C, D, E? Yeah. And, and then they I've pronounce it all that. differently? Yeah, 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 it's like, yeah. I'm so creative. <laughs> get over it. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Back to topic at hand. Um, Dorcas. That's right. So she dies. And, and they bring Peter in because he's in the area. And, and Peter, it says, if you go read it, goes up to the room that she's been laid in um, and it says he prayed pause tur comma turned to her and said get up so he didn't pray that she gets up hmm. he just told the dead body to awaken what he prayed for i believe was permission from the spirit of god god right. is this girl supposed to get up right now because if so i'm gonna do that same thing with, with lazarus right jesus never prayed that lazarus would come out of the grave he spoke to him, get up, right? Mm -hmm. that, it, that they were speaking in the authority that God had given them because they were speaking out of permission, not of some over-realized identity, right? Right, right. Um, like Jesus, if anyone could have been the one to do that, yeah. right? But he still didn't, right? He, we see his pattern of prayer. He goes, here's the will of the Father. Only, he even says, I only do what I hear this Father doing or do what I hear, see the Father doing, say what I hear the Father saying. Like that was his MO. I'm just, I'm, even this week I'm preaching on... Um, Jesus and, uh, and the woman at the well, in the sort of last half of it, um, talking about evangelism and whatnot. And he even says, like, the food I have is to do the will of the Father, to accomplish his task. Right. That, that, that's what he's about. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's how we live in the tension. Yeah. We live with a permission-based submission. Jesus, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What are you revealing to us right now? This is why, by the way, we need the gifts in the church, discernment, words of knowledge, mm -hmm. just putting it out there. Right, um, sensitivity to the Spirit of God, and then act upon those things that we've been given authority to have. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, and I think, like, yeah, I think there's a tension I experience a lot too. I definitely relate to where this um, this person is coming from, because it's so often to be cynical, maybe when someone says, like, you know, I this is this is God's will that I do this thing or that I, you know, lead you in this direction. And you're often left wondering, like, are you just it's a God's voice or just you mistaking your own ambition for God's voice? And I think that idea of like, yeah, like being in submission to his will um, is the way out of that, um, that I think I don't think everyone maybe recognizes that. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just thinking out loud right now. No, I hear that. And because what Christian is not going to say, like, I want to do the will of God. Yeah. But I think because of our fear yeah. of over realizing our eschatology, yeah. um, 
and maybe our hesitation to underrealize the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. We will go one or two ways. And like, I would definitely. And I've lived it. in both ways. Like I like I've told you about times where I've prayed for people for their healing. Right. And cause more pain in mm-hmm. their life. Right. Um, I still believe in healing because I've seen it in other yeah. places. In this instance, that was us trying to force the hand of God and it ended up hurting an individual. I can admit that. It's it's a part of actually deep shame in my life that I was so caught up right. in, in this in this in this desire that I did not even hear the spirit of Jesus because I know he wasn't saying to do that. Um, at the same time, I've seen my brother get healed. I've seen God come through. I've seen people legitimately um, be free of addiction to to drugs in an encounter with Jesus. Um, I had a guy we we met at camp, um, young guy, and we prayed together and believed that God was going to free him of this. Came to me a year later and said, I haven't touched it in a year since that day that we prayed about it. Wow. And that was his testimony, yeah. right? And so I've seen God do amazing things, but I've also seen, you know, humans do some crazy things. And so I think that's where I've had the I've had the gracious experience of both sides, the fear and the hope. Yeah. And that's where I think I can sort of live a little bit better in that in that middle place because I've I've had to work those emotions mm. out really deeply. Yeah. And I, I experience. I wonder if maybe the classic trajectory for a lot of Christians is the over realization of that followed by a huge swing back in the other direction mm-hmm. where they stay for the rest of their life. Yep. What's well, the idea even with spiritual gifts we talked about it, right? Just because it's yeah. been abused doesn't mean we abandon it. And I think it's safer to it's safer to never pray that someone gets healed. Let's be real. Yeah. Right? It's safer to believe that hell is just coming on earth and we're just waiting to get out of it, yeah. right? Like it's it's an easier thing. And I don't mean that in a, in a condescending way. I just I understand it, mm-hmm. but I do think like I and this is where maybe people would correct me, but I would I will err on the side of faith, right, right, a little bit. And I don't mean saving faith. I mean God can do it right now. Well, right, and that could be a gift that God's given me, maybe, and maybe I have a gift of faith I don't know about. I don't think I do, but I just I do tend to err on that side that God is going to come through in this, and I'm going to pray for it, and I have to catch myself. To be, okay, and I'll give you a real example, right? On Sunday mornings, you know that we invite people up to pray. Yeah, and. Um, we're starting to build that culture a little bit and, and just, just even saying thank you to everyone who came up for prayer this past week. Was, I'm glad that we're building that culture into our church and just want to shout that shout out to that. But there have been times where I have, people have come up to receive prayer for things, specific things. Um, and I've had to honestly ask God, am I allowed to pray for that? And there have been times I felt no. And so then I've had to kind of like... <laughs> pray but not pray what they want me to pray i legitimately think you've done that to me one time right probably a long time ago <laughs> um and, and and i try to live in that like honestly try to live in that space where like i'm actually thinking god am i especially when it comes to like especially when it comes to more of those like miraculous things i do genuinely every week if someone says like i had a person come up and say i want i want to pray for my friend he's going through this sickness and I prayed, God, am I allowed to pray that prayer to myself? Yeah. And just sort of was waiting on him for that kind of revelation. And and, and that's the place I think, like if, if this thing, to be honest, is because I think of my proclivity towards desiring to see God move in miraculous ways. If I don't feel like I have a clear answer, I'll pray for, pray for healing because I want to see it. To be, and that's, yeah. could be, that's probably purely selfish and 
but I'd rather err on that side of like fiery faith and revival than not, to be honest. And I think we've built a culture in our church where there's safety for that because we, I think, deal with some of this tension in this way where we talk about permission, we talk about assignment, we talk about the limitations that God puts on our life. And we're not trying to live in some over-realized space where, you know, Christianity's following Jesus is some kind of like butterflies and rainbows. Like I talk yeah. about I'm a mess all the time for this reason. Like I'm, yeah. I'm trying not to present this life of like it all works out on the outside, but it's God prospering me on the inside, um, which he does. And that is the truth, right? And so I think... I've had to be trained in that. And and it's easy. It's harder to be honestly, to, if, I'm, if we're going to get into more personal spaces, it's harder to have this attitude for myself. Yeah. Right? Because what if God's will, what if his permission he's given me is less than what I want? Yeah. Right? What if the season he's put me in is, is lower than my ambition? Mm-hmm. Right? Like we often hear these sermons from you know, pastors with good intentions, I think, saying like, you know, you're awesome, you can do it, dream bigger, expand the vision. Um, I'd, I'd rather have God's permission. Right. And even if that's less than what I want. Yeah. I think, like, that's the funny thing is like, I'm so convinced of this. Like, I preach messages that are like, stop dreaming. Yeah. Figure out the will of God, right? And, and it sounds counterintuitive to kind of like the raw, raw, faith this often gets espoused and, and and it's it's not because i think it's bad to dream in fact i i want i just want god's dream yeah because sometimes it's bigger than mine yeah i can admit that right but sometimes it's smaller than mine mm-hmm. and i'd rather i'm trying to i'm trying to live a life of of faith that believes truly it is to my advantage always to ask for god's permission because it would always be better than what i would have got myself yeah um and so like, and, and like, you know, you guys know, um, you guys, Sam's part of our ops team. He sees me in the behind the scenes a lot. Like, I hope this is true. So maybe I think it is, maybe it's not. This could be a real moment of risk. But like the prayer that I pray most often in the context of church, in the context of my life is the beginning of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Yeah, and there's a, like totally. that, that is that, that directive. Even like my kids, I've trained my kids, even almost unconsciously now to pray that before meals and i hope that it's going to sow those seeds for the future um that emma and i have built that that home for them but it really comes down to this point of i just really do want jesus to be the the rudder of my ship Mm. whatever metaphor you want yeah i just and it's hard because a lot of my fear in life if i'm going to be honest is built around this very question you know, will I achieve? Will I create the church? Will yeah. I be the preacher? You know, a lot of it around my skills and my gift thing. And I've had to go through a season of figuring out how to give, how to how to give that back and ask God's permission for my gifting, mm-hmm. um, and be willing to submit those things. And that's hard, right? Like in the may in the age of social media churches, it's like you see everyone else. We talked about this before. I think even you know a couple of weeks ago on a podcast just of the 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 coveting that can come into it and in a very personal level coveting for me is built i mean is 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 broken defended against in permission god whatever like what is the season you have for us yeah and and being okay finding joy in the permission of god um and so if he's like you know today's the day of healing i'm gonna pray and i'm gonna expect if he says shut your mouth 
I want to shut my mouth. Um, and this is why, again, we need the gifts of spirit back activated in our church, right? Because there's people, you go read it, First Corinthians, Romans, who have the gift of healing, have the gift of miracles, have the gift of discernment, the gift of hospitality, the gift of mercy that need to be activated and need to be used within the church. And if this is a situation where God wants mercy to flow, I better know where the mercy people are because I don't got that gift, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and the same thing with leadership. Like, and so I think there is actually a very beautiful and community-basedness to this, right? Because, um, because again, I'm under no illusion that I am an apostle. I'm not Peter. I'm not on that level. I have the same spirit, but they have a, they had a unique office, and so what they did in their life is what they did, and we can honor that and look to that. But the principle of permission that I see in their life. Even Paul, right, he talks about how he wanted to go one way, but this, but in the dream, the guy came to him and said, come to Macedonia, and he felt the Spirit of God leading him, so he went, right? What is that? But it's permission, right? Yeah. It is, I was going to go here, God said go here, right? And and so, I know from the life of Jesus, the life of the apostles, the life of Paul, um, I just see that there is so much more benefit in that, in right. the permission um on that level of like usually and that's usually the tense of now not yet like we could have a probably a whole other conversation um if we wanted to we could see where we want to go sam um about the idea of personal growth of the now and not yet right yeah i uh one thing i wanted to get into before we go into a conversation about that is kind of back to that point about under realization i think because mm-hmm. i think uh i think for us like as much as maybe we can tend to hear our own ambition too much and you know before we ask for permission um i think there's also a tendency to just assume that uh god's plan is going to happen regardless of me and i don't have a role to play in that Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. like i think that's a real uh feeling for a lot of people yep um that maybe prevents them from seeing heaven come here or getting excited about that or getting um just really making that kind of their mission yeah um no and that that kind of idea of like god's partnership with humanity and redemption i think always causes tension mm-hmm. because like it because it connects to so many parts of life because what's the point of praying then right and and people have their like had to wrestle with this theologians had to work this out people have to think about it deeply but i think the thing that we cannot deny even if we can understand is that god chooses at some level to partner with us yeah right like he's from the very beginning right like he made the creation and then tells adam hey work it take care of it you're my image you're my you're my representative. You're, you're you're a citizen of heaven on earth. Work it out, right? And you know, using Moses and if you study life of Moses, all the conversations God has with him, which God didn't need to have. If God is God, He didn't need to have them, right? The 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 kind of almost like back and forth that some people read and say, see, God is like omnip doesn't know everything, or and you could also see that God is engaging with humans at. The, where humans are yeah, right and yeah. you know even like jesus sending out the 72 or yeah in twos to go and luke 10 and like if the spirit of god could just go and do it like yeah but god chooses to use us and so 
there is this call to the kingdom. Like that's why Paul talks about the church as the body, right? architected on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think we can have bad theology that lends ourself to a lack of activity. Right. Um, truthfully. But, and then we can have kind of the overactivity as well. Like we have to do everything and whatever. And God, God's hand moves because we prayed. And I don't think that's the case either. Yeah. Um, but I do think there are things in our life that put us into places. <clears throat> sorry, where God is more palpable. Yeah. Right. Um, where the transcendent becomes imminent more often. Mm. Um, and not because of us, but because we just do what God is up to um, in very real ways. Yep. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, yeah, I would be interested in hearing now about your thoughts about personal growth and kind of where you were going before. Yeah, because I think the other side of this question is like for just on our level between who we are when we're saved, mm-hmm. the now, what Christ has won. Because the question talks about what Christ has won for us and all that stuff. Um, and what we experience. Yeah. And then what we anticipate. Yeah. And so, again, I don't want to get too much into this because I don't want to spoil my Philippians sermon. Sure. I know there's like 14 <laughs> of them, but there's one about this whole thing. But how, you know, um, there's you could argue that there's three kind of stages of salvation in a sense. Yeah. Right? Justification, sanctification, glorification, mm-hmm. and how God completes all of them in our life. Right? And he is faithful. Like Paul writes that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. That is... Not principally, no, how, how do I say this? That is not directly about God starting some dream in your life and he's going to bring it to pass or keep believing, right? Principally, sure, God's faithful, he's going to do it. But it's actually about God bringing to completion our salvation. How does he complete our salvation if we have one in Jesus? Well, he's not talking about justification. He's talking about sanctification, ultimately glorification, that we will one day be fully redeemed mm-hmm. like we can't even imagine this is the thing, this is why it's so difficult i think for people school we can't even imagine a world where sin is no longer binding us yeah like what would that be like i have no idea i don't know how i'll think i don't know how i'll feel right i don't know the freedom that i'll know but that is what, it, what awaits us um and in the meantime between justification and glorification there's this thing called sanctification mm-hmm. right yeah which is all about progress yeah right the line I like using now, the beginning of church sometimes, is that you could define the church, and this is a very loose, non-theological, non-technical definition for everybody who's about to like try to... Call you, you a know, heretic? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Don't at me, as they say, the young kids, um, that the church is simply a bunch of in-progress people making much of a grace they could not earn, a love they could never deserve, and a healing they could not imagine, but only found in Jesus. Yeah. That's who we are, yeah. right? And that's the now and not yet. Right. And, yeah. and so I think the hope of the, of the not yet is that like God's vision for our life, yeah. is that I'm going to be refined. I'm going sure. to be made Jesus, yeah. like Jesus. And in the now I ain't there yet. Yeah. Right. So, so this does lead me to, <laughs> I, I, I can't resist uh, bringing up Catholicism again, apparently in, in any of our episodes. Apparently. I don't know what's going on with you, Sam, but no, but because we're going to have to have a conversation. We're not, we're not. I'm just kidding. Cause I just kidding. Sort of. You don't have to talk me out of any particular way of thinking here. <laughs> I just want to kind of know your response to this. Sure. Is that this is where the doctrine of purgatory can come in when we have a mm. discussion about sanctification. Because the way I understand 
purgatory in the Catholic faith. Is that it's not in the Bible, but go it's on. It's not in the Bible, absolutely. It's it's They would say it's implied because the question that you have to answer then is like, what happens if I'm not fully sanctified by the end of my life? Am I then sure. glorified? I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm in for a really short, sassy answer here, but go ahead. <laughs> you call me sassy, Sam? A little bit. Um, you get burned in the fire of the glory of God. Legitimately. Right? The, so, Paul talks about, um, this is so bad that I'm a pastor and cannot give you the reference off the top of my head. But it's because you just asked me. He talks about how we will bring sort of our life and the materials of our life before God. And the wood and the straw will get burned away and the gold will be refined. That's what will be there, right? So is that what the Catholics think is purgatory? Potentially, but they're wrong. Um, <laughs> I said that so authoritatively. Wow, you sound very sure of yourself. Very sure right? of myself. What kind of postmodern people are we? <laughs> um, anyways, and, and the idea for me is that when we stand before the white throne judgment of Jesus, when he puts us essentially on trial, right? Um, what God sees is Jesus, not my lack. That's the gospel. So sanctification for me is the progressive revelation of my freedom that I need to experience, mm -hmm. right? The goal of sanctification ultimately is not to complete my glorification. Because okay. I won't be. I'll never be perfect in this right. life. Yep. But when if the gospel is true and Jesus won all for me, what I need for life and salvation in him, then when I get to see Jesus and, and have to give an account, because salvation does not eliminate the account I must give for my life. All it does is when I stand before God on that courtroom kind of trial, justification is I've been justified. The court case is decided pre the, wow, grammar just left my brain. It's already decided, pre-decided, right? Um, based on Jesus, that, that, that when God looks at me, he sees the sun. Um, and so my glorification becomes the instantaneous process of seeing Coram Deo, the face of God, and being refined by the fire of the spirit in that moment that's how i would under to understand it that kind of i believe who was it it was um oh it was some christian poet i think it was a woman um fitzgerald maybe is it her name i can't remember who it was uh tim keller talked about it this image of as we're kind of walking up to heaven the fire is burning and just refining us as we go kind of a thing like the completed thing and so that's not purgatory in the sense of suffering for your sin to get better and be refined. Um, it is the gracious act of God to refine the things in us. Uh, because for us, like, for us, or, you know, for me at least, when I think of sanctification, like, because the idea is, is there's different, to get into like kind of, kind of like the vocabulary, right? It's that I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved, mm -hmm. right? Those kind of tenses of that. So sanctification is, is the ongoing process of the revelation of my salvation, Right. Always, always more, 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 um, which I don't think implies necessarily in it that I arrive at some endpoint in the process of sanctification, right? There's just these definitive, um, because you could also then argue definitive sanctification uh, versus progressive sanctification, right? Because I'm definitively holy in Jesus. That's my identity, right? right? 
I'm definitively justified and definitively sanctified, but I'm progressively being sanctified as well. So that's not necessarily about identity and who I am. That's about how I live and how I practice. Okay. Right. And so I would argue that there's actually a distinction potentially in that, that case as well. Um, cause that's the idea of like my first sermon in Philippians, right? It's called, uh, servants and saints, um, where Paul writes, um, to the saints in Philippi. And then he talks about him in, in Timothy being servants of Christ. This idea is he's writing to a bunch of Christians who live in Philippi who aren't saintly, right? Like it, it is his most happy letter. We'll give him that, but there is still correction needs to be given. There's still imperfection in that church, but his definition of them are saints because of Jesus, not because of them, wow. right? Yeah. That there's this identity marker that we are saints. I am a saint, right? I have not, you know, performed post-mortem miracles. Um, you know, People haven't like prayed for your intercession. No, but, um, but nonetheless, um, I'm a saint in Jesus. That's what I am. And so um, I think there's those that, that dynamic as well. And so I don't think we need purgatory to complete the work of Jesus. I think he's pretty good to do that himself. Well, Mike, if you die before me and you do get to heaven... And, I'll put uh, in a good word. No, I was just going to say like, and it turns out that purgatory is a real thing. Just like pray that God sends like a revelation to me. Specifically the same. <laughs> Specifically just the same. <laughs> I just have this like go in a cave somewhere. We'll send some angel. Yeah. You know, I think that happened before. Now, like an interesting thing though, because you mentioned like sanctification not being an end point. Didn't John Wesley sort of believe it was though? There, there have been, um, I can't remember exactly what people called it, but essentially perfection theologies where essentially if you don't come to perfection in this life, then yeah, you're not sanctified, you're not being sanctified. Even, um, you know, the idea of like, if Christians keep on sinning, they're not really Christians. Right. And I think that's a misreading or a misappropriation of some of the language, especially in John's letters. Yeah. Um, Cause I do think chosen habitual progressive sin is evidence that maybe you're not in. <laughs> like I'm yeah. just saying, if you're, habitually choosing to reject Jesus all the time, that's a problem. Um, if you're not perfect yet because you're human and you're 28 and you're 24 and you're 35 and like, um, good example, let's just use Peter. Yeah. Okay. Um, we know from his life that he was a young, abrasive punk Yeah. who God redeemed, called, was essentially, you know, one of the first bishops of the church first leaders, right? Um, and yet in Galatians, Paul calls him out for racism, <laughs> right? Which yeah. would have been about 20 years into his church leadership. Yeah. So all I'm saying is if Peter was still a racist after 20 years and he was walking with Jesus, had the revelation of the oh, resurrected him, king, right? Before him, like Jesus was like, cooking him fish. We know, we know how the story ends, right? Like, and restoring him ultimately to leadership. And yet still, even after, even after getting the vision, right, of of of, of God giving him the like the, the different things to eat, saying, Don't call unclean what I've called clean, and yet still acting, you know, against the Gentiles in Galatian, you know, acting one way with the Jews and sort of refusing the Gentiles and, and Paul having to call him out saying, You're not living in line with the gospel, you're creating division that's not supposed to be there. Like after all he had seen, all he had done, and yet he still had had this stuff in him. Like, I, I have hope that God can work. Like, 
God's working, oh, man. Right? You just messed me up. So I'm gonna go to heaven. There's gonna be like slave owners there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of the greatest of Puritan writers, right? Like, actually, I just saw this quote, and I think it's I think it's a really good one to understand. Is that you know what we understand about that period of time, right? Is the same thing um, about the the misappropriation of of scripture, right? It's not that the Bible led them to believe that they could own black humans, right? It's that they read the Bible wrong, right? There is this um, um, African Methodist um, preacher who is a quote that was going on on Instagram just just this past week, basically saying this point that black theologians of the day were not arguing that the Bible was wrong because they were deeply theological. The black, you know, um, black community was, was very theological. Even today it's robust. I think we white people kind of forget that sometimes. Yeah. Um, deeply robust. Um, they had this big African Methodist sort of uh, conference. We were talking about it and yeah. it, they didn't allow the American version of Christianity to influence, right? Their, yeah. their th- like it's anyways, whole other conversation, but he was writing about how like the, the time the black theologians, um, didn't accuse the white people of having a wrong Bible. It was that they read it wrong. Yeah. Right. It's, it's that they just didn't get it right. Um, and so in this vein, right, like, there will be the most messed up people in heaven, right? Who could write good theologies, right? Like, like I think we have, like, this is where things get blown up in our safe boxes of who's in and who's out, yeah. right? Like, um, any, like, like, just, like, it just, like, I think, I know this is a probably a very sensitive conversation to have, but, like, some of the writers that the church loves, had slaves like we have to just own that they did they got it wrong right Mm. and um and there's no time that we would argue in history that was ever okay right that that, that to treat human beings as property right that's that is a corruption of the fall and again people try to argue that paul didn't explicitly say this we also explicitly said you can't be trade slave trading and that if you can't get free get free like there's there's is a lot of subversion in scripture that we have to get into and we do that so i don't want to get onto that topic tonight but just the idea of broken human beings, there are things that I've gotten wrong, right? Mistakes that I have made deeply, people I've hurt, um, and, and think, like, I'm 28, there's going to be, I'm going to do dumb things. But um, I'm, I believe I'm going to heaven because I know Jesus, not because I'm awesome, right? Like, I remember I was sitting with someone um, that let's just say had a a history of certain kinds of um how do I say this character issues when it comes to sexual choices and a pastor and I remember being so angry that I didn't want to be in the same room as this guy and I remember being there and Jesus saying to me in that moment, and it made me break down, just, I have grace for him too. And it's just something I didn't want to hear, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't want to hear that because I think what he did was wrong, obviously. 
Um, and, 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 okay, and again, it wasn't just, I feel like I made that, see, it wasn't towards kids or anything like that. I want to just make sure that's clear. It's not like, not that God doesn't have grace for pedophiles. He does. But I just mean in this context that the person I'm talking about, it wasn't something that I felt like I had to report. It was just some decisions he made as a pastor that were just not great. Um, and I had to just wrestle the fact that like, as twisted as this guy was to his wife and to his kids and decisions he was making, and I would all argue the abuse of the ministry that he had um, and pretend like it doesn't exist and just the anger I had for that. Um, and even the conversations I've had with him about it and him not caring, like, and yet God had said, like, I got grace for him. And it just broke me down because I'm like, I don't want you to have grace for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's just the level of grace is that it's not for good people. It's not for perfect people. The, the scandal of grace is that it's for everybody. And that, that angers me sometimes. Yeah because I need more grace, right? Yeah. And and so I know the question you asked was kind of facetious, but it's true, right? Any any negative thing that we can think of, right? There's going to be someone in heaven who participated in that at some point. Mm. And then God redeemed them. And that is the hope we have. And it's it's... Like, I remember um, in high school having this very conversation with someone where there was a Muslim girl, and she's just like, like, it doesn't make sense. How can they just get in? And I'm like, that's just what grace is. You get in. They don't deserve it. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's what grace is. And, you know, as sensitive as some of these topics are, it's just grace in the simplest form is literally that mind-blowing. Now, grace doesn't remove wisdom, and so, you know, we have to use that in how we relate on earth in this moment, how we correct and call out sin, the sin of slavery, the sin of racism. Like, I just don't even understand how modern churches don't, to be honest, and this is not to be judgment, but they just don't understand how to do that sometimes, especially when it comes to the race stuff, because I know it's very sensitive, but it's like, like, the Bible, like, literally, there is no... um, slave or free jew or greek that's all done in jesus we're all just part of him like you can like racism is this like this it goes against what the gospel actually is yeah anyways that can be a whole other sermon amen sermon preach um a whole other podcast but i just like just because i because I, I just don't want to make sure i just don't want to be insensitive to the topic that you, you you brought up in that way but it's just true like there will be and to be honest like you know name something evil if if that person came to Jesus they're in heaven as frustrating as that is and and, and that's just how good grace goes and the reason why it's frustrating is cuz we believe that it is a it's less of a miracle that I got in right because yeah cuz cuz why do I think that I somehow of everybody compared to that guy like of course I'm a christian no what like, the reason why we do that is because we begin to believe that their salvation is more miraculous than mine. Right, right. And that's yeah. just false. That's true. Wow. Yeah, I think, like, we think sometimes, like, you know, I was brought up in a Christian home. I was raised right. Like, yeah. Of course. Of it's course called God blessing. Yeah. Right? It's But 
yourself. Like, like I remember having this conversation with someone actually, and I and I asked for their testimony. It was, it was at a, a former church, and um, they're like, I, I don't really have one. I just sort of grew up in a Christian home, and now I believe in Jesus. And and I, she's it was like, I just don't have a story. And I'm like, actually, have a great one. But the fundamental thing you're missing is the fact that you think that's what got you saved. Like, we are broken human beings who need saving. And that's not some kind of worm theology of we're horrible. No, like, it's just it's true. Like, I've met humans. We kind of suck, right? Like, we, yeah. we, we are very good at messing things up. Right, and there are redeemable moments. Like there is the grace of God in the world that we can unify and do things. And like even the Bible, we see that. Right, like that's like not to get too theological, but the story of the Tower of Babel. Right, the reason why they could build that thing up to heaven and use their unity as a bad thing was because they were. And God comes out and says like if they're unified, they can do like anything. They can do it. Right, like there's good things in us. Um, so I'm not trying to say that, but we are common in our brokenness. We are common in our woundedness. We are common in these things. And we need a savior. We need a good one. And the reason why Pharisees get made in the church is because we believe our salvation is somehow less a supernatural miracle of God than some other person that I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, and it's just not true. It's just not true. And I think we just got to sit with that. <laughs>